in the chicken industry, if you get somebody that can tie into your business practices and your identity as a company and choose to purchase a quality food product, that customer can stay for a long, long time. Welcome to the Food Startups Podcast. You just need the packaging to shout off the shelf. It's a different world when you actually think about adding value. But to be able to play now is definitely going to require some new thinking out there. Hang out with us and learn how to grow your food business. He is the executive vice president of SVO and an equity member of the organization. He joined the company in mid-2014, so going on three years, he has a background in sales, marketing, and operations that enables him to make an impact to the improvement at the plant from the get-go. He oversees um, sales, marketing, biz dev, so it sounds like he's pretty busy there, and he has studied business management at BRCC and is also pursuing an MBA. He's also on the planning commission for the city of Harrisonburg, Virginia. Um, He grew up on a dairy farm. He's been married for seven years. Uh, He stays active with running, biking, and various sports listeners. uh, uh, Considering he's doing his MBA on the planning commission, has a family, we're going to have to find out how he uh, does all this with only 24 hours in a day. And he's uh, been involved with his church as well for for 10 years. Jefferson Heatwall, how's it going? Good morning, Matt. Doing very well. Um, hearing you read all of these things, I kind of ask myself the same question, but we do find time for everything somehow. <laughs> it's funny sometimes because it's just a natural human thing when you write your bio for the show. Because a lot of times, I mean, I'm not sure if you knew I was going to read out your bio. So a lot of times the listeners start laughing when they say it because some people have bios like, you know, they, they enjoy scuba diving and uh and hanging out with their goofy dogs, Lester and and Charles or something. But uh, but yeah, thanks for coming on the show. Certainly, thanks for having me, Matt. And so, listeners, you know, the majority of the listeners are in the United States, but you know, there are some international people as well. But uh, let's uh, let's just talk about the Shenandoah Valley. So, the Shenandoah Valley is in is in Virginia, a beautiful part of the country. I grew up about three hours from it. And uh, this is the second Shenandoah Valley company on the show, not just from the region, but that decides to use Shenandoah Valley in their brand name. Yeah, that's right. Um, So the Shenandoah Valley is on the northwestern part of the state of Virginia. Uh, Harrisonburg is the city where our our company is based and also where uh, the area where I grew up. We are two hours southwest of Washington, D.C., so um, the valley stretches up between the Shenandoah and the Blue Ridge Mountains, and it just become a, a, a place where um, my ancestors, for example, landed in Philly, went west into Pennsylvania, and then just moved south down to the Shenandoah Valley where they, they raised their families in the farms. And are, there's a really good cultural heritage around here of just families that have uh, – um, immigrated from, you know, whether uh, recently or a few hundred years ago. It just seems a great place where uh, you can have a, a good culture, but also a great place to raise produce or um, uh, dairy, pork, or uh, poultry farms. For example, there's over a thousand 
poultry houses within an hour of Harrisonburg, Virginia. So that's a pretty pretty good number compared to most places in the United States. It's a lot of chicken. And and Jefferson, so you have a, you have uh, I congratulate you because you have a very memorable name. So so <laughs> that last name you said your ancestors where did what uh, country did they come from? Uh, they came from Germany in the Rhine River area. So most of those were farmers or winemakers. Well, actually, I happen to know this because I did a study in high school, but it was my great, 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 that's five, grandfather, uh, Johann Sebastian Hutful, it was spelled H-U-T-W-U-M-L-O-H-L, came over in the uh, 1700s, and he landed in Philly. He did not know any English, and the gentleman that was writing his paperwork in Philadelphia did not know any German. So Hutful became Heatwell. So uh, interesting side fact is anybody with the same last name as I have, I'm related to them because it all traces back to that same guy. And have you have you made a uh, pilgrimage to uh, to Germany? I was there briefly in '02. Um, however, uh, it was um, we were sliding through a bunch of countries, just making a blitz. I, it is on my agenda someday for my wife and I to make the pilgrimage, as you say, back <laughs> to the uh, area where my ancestors grew up. That's awesome. So even back to your childhood on a dairy farm, this uh, your roots, right? The continuing in, in agriculture. Yeah. So I really think that that helped prep me for the experience that we now have with SVO because that connection with farmers is one that's real to me. You know, I grew up milking uh, dairy cows before I would go to school or, you know, we fed calves or we, you know, we did a lot of things around our dairy farm and we were surrounded by farms that also had poultry. My my cousin Corwin, who uh, was actually, that's how we got into SVO. He was growing chickens himself because he grew up on a poultry farm and then um, started growing organic. We talked a lot and he really liked the different raising standards and it became something that, you know, once we ran a sustainability study, we found out that it could be a viable business and would be scalable. And so we uh, made the decision to, to get this thing started. And when Corwin started first growing organic chickens, I don't think he had any idea that it would get to be this big this quickly, but I'm certainly happy that we can all be along one for the ride. That's amazing. And I, I guess you're in Costco and, and, and lots of stores now. Now, I guess another question, just so you know, this episode is, is going live just after Smarty Pants Vitamins, and it's a husband and wife team. So okay. I like to see the, uh, yeah, and uh, another great company. And I like to see the the influence of family. So um, not just from your, your ancestry, but your wife is a... Um, nutritionist, right? A, a dietitian. Yeah. Re- registered dietitian. Yes, sir. Has that helped you at all in terms of, cause I mean, you're in marketing, right? And a lot of this, we're going to get into this today. Listeners, this episode can be found at foodstartupspodcast.com slash SVO, but we're going to get into try to demystify cause it is confusing the, the cage free, free range, sans antibiotics, organic chicken stuff, but having a wife as a dietitian, does that help at all in terms of, I guess her job, Part of her job is putting some of this health stuff into layman's terms because not everyone understands, you know, this is what happens when vitamin B3 gets into your body, et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely. Uh, so Vanessa is, is my wife that graduated from uh, James Madison University, the local u- university here, and she's an RD that works at the local hospital. So even just this weekend, for example, I was working on a marketing project, and so I prep these things and have all these words written out, and then I ask my wife <laughs> to, to listen to me say these things, and then she, she will absolutely coach me because you're right. That is a lot of what she does for the job. So just putting it into terms that are 
more easily understandable and, and applicable to um, the, the person that may not raise chickens, example, for example, for a living. It, it's definitely worth <laughs> getting all the advice from my wife that I can. I love that. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I've had, I've had some kind of biotech companies on the show that aren't consumer facing, mm-hmm. right? So they kind of, Cliff Notes is they sell to other nerds so they don't have to <laughs> put it in layman's terms. I've noticed it's, it's challenging for them because it's really complex stuff. Mm-hmm. And I say, hey, wait a minute, we don't know what, uh, what, what, what is this? You know, what type of scientific process is this? So yeah, and as I mentioned, Shenandoah Growers, the leading herb on the East Coast uh, company was also on the show. And I know you have a relationship with, with Tim and he's also on the board of directors of your company. Yes, he is. He was gracious enough to uh, uh, lend us some of his incredible knowledge and experience in the uh, in the sector, and we found that there there are synergies. So um, SCI grows you know, herbs and also live herbs. They also um, clip them and sell them in supermarkets as well. But um, chicken is still a though it's a protein versus an herb. There's yeah some good synergies that we have between the companies, and we found him to be in a an incredible asset with a, a lot of knowledge in the food space. And um, yeah, thankfully he's uh, willing to sit on our board of directors. And in fact, we just had a meeting that he was here last week. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I mean you're baking chicken, this organic chicken. You might as well use organic herbs as well, right? To uh, to to season it. I, I would I would guess between my wife and I that we buy Shenandoah Growers products at least two or three times a week. So we, we do our part to try to support Tim and his business. <laughs> That's great. What a fantastic person. Also a great company. The one thing, like, yeah. I say one thing as, I mean, there was a lot of things that stood out about them, but I'd say the most impressive thing to me was the average amount of time that people, like the, the employee retention rate and how many employees have been there for 10 plus years. Mm-hmm. That that says a lot more than anything else you can say on your website. Yeah, it's very, very very impressive really is in fact yeah that's that's one of the things that uh we're working with the board of directors now is to say hey in in a space that often does have a significant amount of turnover how can you impact each employee in the most positive way and keep them there for as long as possible and obviously what senator Gross is doing is a is a testament to that and what were you doing before svo so i was working in the uh, construction industry my most uh, recent job was a few years stint with Largo Marble and Granite and I was the I oversaw all of the um, the bids the the quoting process estimates and was the business development vice president so uh, we expanded quickly had a new location and uh, when uh, Corwin talked to me about this opportunity with SVO it it was one that was tough because I really enjoyed what I was doing and when expanding business that's something that excites me a lot I love growth and and um, seeing things develop and you know seeing that hard work come to fruition and I sat down with the ownership group and we talked through it and at the end of the day it was the uh, right move to go to SVO but I, I I take a lot of things from the construction industry with me not just um not just spreadsheets and numbers and digits but um infrastructure and people and building relationships the right way and and management styles and um certainly still like to go back into DC when I can and look at some of the high-rise buildings or government buildings that we worked on or are, are still working on and still have a good relationship with the company. It's uh, something that I think ties back to, um, I, I didn't just play on the farm. I also loved, you know, playing with Legos. So to me, there's something cool about seeing a tangible building going up. But 
at the end of the day, one of the things I appreciate most about the food industry is, um, as opposed to the building industry, is you can only build but so many buildings. You know, it does seem like they're in, in the D.C. area. They are tearing them down and building them up pretty regularly. But in the chicken industry, if you get somebody that can tie into your business practices and your identity as a company and choose to purchase a quality food product, that customer can stay for a long, long time, much longer than building just one building. Yeah, uh, agreed. And yeah, but DC is going through a transformation. It's pretty amazing. And, and Jefferson, so it's really interesting. So I just see the, whether it's just a coincidence, but I, I, I feel uh, there's a lot of synergy with, with Shenandoah Growers, with Tim's company. Um, and listeners, you can find that episode on the, the show notes. I'll link to it. But uh, I want to go into your website because both you and Tim have especially great websites, you know, uh, from the guests I've had on the show, because, you know, Tim's website has freshherbs.com, which I love. I use because sometimes like I buy an herb, I don't know how to use it or finding substitute herbs. And it kind of gives you ideas to what to cook when you buy organic thyme or, or basil. Um, and you have two really interesting pages on your site. Um, the, the R brands and the, the farmer focus. So, uh, and listeners, this again is linked uh, on the show notes. So going to the R brands, there is this table and Jefferson, what I'd like to do is kind of, uh, you know, on layman's terms for people that aren't in the industry, help explain the difference between conventional, we'll say antibiotic free or raised without antibiotics and your organic chicken. So listeners, if you go to the page and you scroll down, you see the brands, Red Wheelbarrow, Blue Ridge Trail, and then below there's this, um, it's like a compare and contrast chart with, with checkboxes. And, and so there's some interesting things on there. Listeners, in fact, if you're if you in front of your computer, I would pause it right now and come up to this chart so you can see it. But yeah, so there's a couple of things on there. Additional relaxed density. And that's comparing antibiotic, free chicken, and organic. What does that mean, relaxed density? Okay, so in the raising standards, uh, and I think you you put it pretty well in saying that there's essentially three main classifications. So you have your conventional, then you have your ABF, which is also known as raised without antibiotics, but we'll say ABF from this point forward just for the sake of time, and organic. So in conventional, uh, they, they can be packed in there very tight. That's some of the um, videos that you see um, out there in the market where the chickens cannot even really walk around. The feed for conventional chickens has a lot of animal byproducts and and jefferson uh, sorry to interrupt here but when you sure. say very tight do you have any like statistics there any numbers how tight is it packed you know i do i would have to look that up i can maybe send that to you if you want to put that information in the link i'll be, I'll be happy to get you um firm data i know for organic standards you can have no more than six pounds per square foot at the absolute maximum so we have a lot of I mean, most of it runs well underneath that threshold. We all do also do some raising for Canadian-approved organic, which is even more relaxed than that. I would say they're probably eight or nine pounds per square foot. Um, but I, I will circle back and get that that uh, info to you for you know exact numbers, Matt. Antibiotic-free or ABF chicken is the the main difference really is the feed. So um, some people do choose to inject their the eggs. With antibiotics, we don't. We raise never, ever antibiotic-free uh, chicken. And Jefferson, why is that bad? Why is or why, why is it not preferable to inject the eggs with well, antibiotics? To me, it's it's something that is a company choice, but it's also I, – I don't like the idea of um, marketing something that 
the end customer, if they knew everything about you. I feel like there's a sense of accountability that we need to have in our marketing to where we're as true to what we're putting out there as we possibly can be. And, you know, I'll also talk a little bit about the third-party auditing companies and different things that we do in an effort to be more transparent and accountable. To answer your question, if you're going to say antibiotic-free, why would you be injecting the eggs with antibiotics? It just seems like it flies in the face of what you're marketing. Oh, I, I was actually so confused there. I thought you meant that the conventional, I'm sure the conventional did that, but you're saying the antibiotic-free, so the anti, hold on, this is confusing. So the anti-ABF, the antibiotic-free chickens, the eggs are injected with antibiotics? In the technicality, yes, Matt. There are some companies that do inject their eggs and still market them as ABF because they are raised for their full life without being given any antibiotics in their feed. Again, in, <laughs> from our standpoint, we would just rather have those chickens never have, even if they were in the egg, just don't give them antibiotics for their whole life if you're going to call it antibiotic-free. Yeah, makes sense. And and then additionally, organic. And again, the reason that SVO is already probably 70% organic, 30% ABF. So we do no conventional chicken um, as we, we have a fairly large plant um, on the north end of Harrisonburg. Uh, we have needed to take on some ABF birds just to, to fill out volume, but we are transitioning those back into organic. Really, And, and how long does the transition take for these uh, ABF farms to go to full organic? Well, they, they could not have been sprayed. I believe it's either two or three years. There's no pesticides around the area, and they have to get that documented. You have to have a fenced-in area for outside access, the doors to the outside of the barn. And I believe other than that, there's going to be some audits and feed verification to make sure that the traceability goes all the way back to the organic crops. But that, that covers most of what a farm would need to be able to raise organic birds. When I say that organic brings the, the peace of mind as opposed to conventional ABF, that's really the most straightforward way because it is a, a certified claim. It is something that you have to run through USDA. So it's not just the feed. It's not just that they are never given antibiotics. They will have the outside uh, access. They're going to have additional relaxed density. And then some of the things that, that we do, we have each food lot is um, tested for the non-GMO project verification. Um, also for animal raising standards, we have GAP Level 3. GAP stands for Global Animal Partnership, as well as uh, we are certified humane as well. So these are all things outside of our plant. There are restrictions on what you can be using inside of a plant for antimicrobial growth. Of course, you don't want to be, you, you, you can't produce any product that has salmonella, Campylobacter, E. coli, or any of those things that are found in a chicken. So we have to use parasitic acid, for example, which is basically a high-strength vinegar instead of some, some uh, hyper-aggressive chemical that would not qualify for organic production standards. Wow. Okay. And, and Jeff, there's a couple of things here. So my first, I, I guess it's more like a comment, but it's it seems that, and this is not just chicken, this is the food industry in general. Some companies, they, they seem more concerned about getting the the kind of the labeling, the certification, or the the phrase "good source of vitamin A," but they don't focus as much on the transparency to the end consumer because a lot of times it can be very um, whether intentional or unintentional deceiving. But SVO is is really trying to educate, you know, a complex topic if you're if you're not in the the poultry business, um, and and kind of just be as transparent as possible. And that leads me to to my my question about the farmers. So. 
I'm sure you spend a, or your company spends a good amount of time, just like most food companies, on the certification process, and you have various certifications. Does it make it challenging, considering that you work with, uh, just rough look here, I don't know, man, over 20, 25, 30 farms? Because that means you would have to, each farm has to go through the those uh, certifications that you mentioned? Well, the short answer is yes, but we have an incredible team that helps to manage it. So <clears throat> we have a live side manager. We have Cassandra, our compliance officer. We have uh, at least two farm techs as well that work on the SVO office side. And then they are able to, I mean, they have checklists and a, a compilation of all the different requirements based off of the certifications that we have. So when a new farmer comes on, there's um, essentially an initiation where they review all of these items and help that farmer to prep for what he's going to need to be certified before he can take his first flock. Um, there's, there's also um, veterinarians and um, uh, the feed companies that we work with. They also have um, doctors or, you know, I believe they also dietitians that can work or from a vet side uh, to, to study the impact of, you know, the grower or the starter or the finisher feeds and, and the ratios with the different proteins and what will be the best impact for the uh, animal's health. Wow, I love it. It makes me think of, so someone has this job, maybe Cassandra, but uh, in the beautiful Shenandoah Valley, just driving from farm to farm and, and helping them with their, uh, their compliance stuff. Not a bad gig, um, if you just see the photos of all these farms. Yeah, she, she, throw, throw this in there too. We, we call her the office mama because she has eight children of her own, so Whoa. she certainly can, can deal with the farmers. We say it, that's a good practice for dealing with our farmers. Wow, so I thought you were busy, but she's, she's kind of taken the cake there. Um, <laughs> yeah, she, she definitely has and just Okay, and it's interesting because one of the videos, I can't remember which farm, but uh, I'll link to this as well that you sent me that um, – SV Organic Produce is about a farmer. They lived in the D.C. area maybe 20, 30 years ago, and they moved to the Shenandoah Valley to start their chicken farm. Do you ever, because I mean, you have connections to construction, Washington, D.C., Northern Virginia, as in the, you know, Fairfax, Arlington area. Do you ever have people contact and say, hey, what if I uh, sold out of the business I'm in right now and bought some land and and uh, wanted to start farming chickens organically? Has anyone ever asked you about that or approached you? You know, it's interesting, Matt. We 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 do. Um, I can't say specifically anybody that that lives in D.C. wants to uproot like Carrie and Jerry Maloney. That's that's the couple um, that that did just that. But um, we certainly have had people that live in Northern Virginia that reach out and ask if they can grow for a small scale. And that's something that's not very well. That that distance. All, all of our farms are within 40 miles of our plant. So that kind of rules out the true Northern Virginia part. And, you know, we need – it would be very, very difficult to have somebody with a, a very small lot to be raising um, truly orga- or certified organic chickens. Uh, and for traceability, not, nothing's worked out um, to, <laughs> to that extent yet. But certainly as our, um, our farmer-focused business model, what we do as a, as a business entity that separates ourselves from the standard uh, grower contract model, we've seen that that's incredibly profitable. I mean, this this model was built with farmers. Corwin sat down with them, and they they mapped out the the same contract that we're using today. And we very often get um, farmers in the Shenandoah Valley and you know surrounding counties that are uh, interested and in, to say, hey, tell me what I need to do and when I could be on. I'm on. Get me on a waiting list. So. 
it's uh, always always encouraging to have a, a, a nice strong grower base. Oh, so you have a waiting list, and how much? And so acres, let's just say acre wise, how much land would someone need to be within forty miles? And how much land would someone need to? And I also understand there's because um, we're in this as well with the organic certification. There's a, there's a cost there. There's some fixed fees with organic certification. So if the mm-hmm. lot is really small, that's going to just increase the cost. So you know what um, what size farm minimum would you need to get involved with this? Um, I, I would say size is is a variable thing. It more depends on the um, if it's a county because usually it's not going to you're not going to have big farms within a city. Uh, it, it comes down to regulation. Um, usually you're going to have at least I would say ten acres. It, it it would that that number probably varies some, but many of the farms that we're on are forty, fifty, or a hundred or two hundred acres. Wow. But um, Maybe I'll just mention here that, that what does set SVO apart is that the farmers actually own their own chickens. So when we say farmer-focused business model, we bring them on as partners. So if you talk about the uh, additional cost for the certif- certifications, that's something that we as a company take on. We work with the farmers to, let's just say we have uh, 75 houses, uh, roughly. Um, you take that number of houses and the chickens that would be coming through. And then we, based off of that, we use those volumes to negotiate our chick and our feed prices through, um, you know, some consolidated vendors because we have to keep it pretty streamlined for traceability. And then um, based off of that price, we're transparent with the farmers. They actually put up the funds to purchase those chicks and to buy the feed. So that, you know, as, as a, as a small company that doesn't have tens of millions sitting around to put into, you know, get tied up in the feed costs, for example, it allows us to be much more scalable. But that also means that the farmers are making an investment into their own flocks. And so that's a big deal. That's something that is different from the the conventional grower model. And so we feel that if the farmers are doing that, then the right thing to do for us is to cover any certification costs and build the model out that way. So if we're if we're pulling on extra claims, it's not just something that we're going to be slapping our farmers with and, and, and holding them to an additional standard. We work with the farmers to to make sure that that's something that fits within what we're currently doing, and then we take on the cost because we you, you do have to pay an auditing company to come in and look at your farms and your plants. But we want that we we don't want to cause a rift between our farmers and the auditors. We want there to be a you know a, a good synergy that they know that this is part of what helps the company succeed. And so that combined with people like Cassandra the, uh, on the farm tech side, that really helps for the, the atmosphere to be a lot better. Great. And so uh, I'm guessing you live near the railroad, don't you? Yes. Yeah. We. Um, I can hear it in the background. Well, our office now where we moved to is um, closer to Court Square, but we directly behind our office, we have a, a railroad, and I believe that's the same one that connects right behind the plant. Our plant is just shy of a mile north of our office. When we when we first started business, we were in a very small place right outside of the, the plant that had a crossing right behind my desk. So I can promise you if we had this, this length of a conversation, I would have been interrupted multiple times by a big train blast. <laughs> Cool. Well, I, I appreciate you explaining the, the farmer relationships. It, it seems like you've really invested a lot of time, money, and effort into creating a great relationship and, and making them partners in your, in your business. 
So a question for you. You had, So basically, I, I don't think there's any debate. I mean, the taste. Because I buy organic chicken, and if I even, like, smell the conventional chicken, you can, it almost smells like bleach. I, I don't know. that. Maybe that's a certain type of conventional chicken. But um, and, and maybe maybe Vanessa would be the person to enter this. But why is uh, organic chicken healthier than conventional chicken? You know, um, it, it really comes down to diet. That's one of the biggest things. There's, there's a lot of ties as well into the uh, – stress that, that an animal goes under where, where they're growing as well that I think is something that is valid and, and you know certainly there's a lot of studies on that but the biggest thing is the diet they say you are what you eat so if an organic chicken is eating an organic diet all of its life it's it's bound to be a much better finished product makes sense and just think of humans right we're also animals and when um there's a lot of psychosomatic illnesses and a lot of doctor's appointments because it's been in your mind. But the, the point is when you're stressed, right, your your cortisol level is elevated and um, you're more susceptible to getting sick, disease. You you think slower. Your 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 health overall health goes down because you're you're stressed. And and these conventional where there's so many chickens per square foot that uh, that logically makes sense without maybe understanding the the science behind it. That's right. And, and you know, just, just note one other thing while I knock on wood, um, we have not had to give any of our flocks antibiotics to date. So um, essentially what you have is a clause there that says if, if you would have a flock that got very sick, then you would need to give them antibiotics, and then you would, you know, sell them on the, the conventional market. The reason I knocked on wood is because you never want to get too confident because stuff can always happen. But um, I do think the the fact that we've been doing this for three years and continue to expand and um, those animals being at a lower stress level helps their health to be better. And we have not had any flocks that have had to be treated, which, again, I think is a testament to the to the good growing practices and how it, it can work. You know, a lot of people say, well, um, organic is something that's not sustainable. Um, I, I really feel that as, as the food industry is looking forward, they and, and we as a culture are, are all better off for looking into sustainable uh, organic growth because at the end of the day, you do want people to be able to eat a, a good quality food. You need to be able to also have it um, excessively priced. That's a tough thing, which, you know, taking on additional costs, uh, but being a young company that must be able to compete, you know, we do strive to make that finished product as accessible to uh, supermarkets and the people that are purchasing within them. Now, also, you know, the online food companies. But I do think that we as, uh, I don't know if you're a big fan of uh, Michael Pollan or, you know, Omnivore's Dilemma or, or the, these these type of things. Or, uh, this is a lot of what um, some of us within the company study to say people care about the food that they eat. And they're make, if you're making a choice to eat an animal protein, there's nothing wrong with wanting to kind of pull back the curtain on the, the big factory where it comes from. I think a lot of people like to eat sausage but don't want to know how it's made. Well, I'm all about knowing how sausage is made, and so I hope that going forward we can that's something that we can uh, clearly communicate to anybody that wants to know more about the, the industry we're in and what we're doing. Yeah, and listen, I um, I mean, that could be a whole other show, but I, I do know a little bit that there's like these factory farms, especially for cattle, which you have like these huge government subsidies. Apparently, like you can't even have your, you can't have a camera, your, your cell phone camera. They'll confiscate your phone if you take pictures. Yep. So, I mean, I'll just leave it at that and let people use their imaginations, but it, it seems pretty 
pretty um yeah it may not be the 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 ideal process for how your food is made or for the animals or the end consumer i I got another question for you uh jefferson so okay you mentioned and it is true at least for my anecdotal experience you know organic chicken is is definitely some of the most affordable organic meat uh, available uh Mm -hmm. why is and correct me if i'm wrong here but why is organic turkey so expensive short version, I would say, is the longer growing process. So turkeys grow to be a lot bigger. Right. And so it takes a lot more time and a lot more feed to be given to that bird before it's it's processed. Okay. Um, so even because of the time, even though you're getting more pounds per turkey, just the additional time is, is just going to be a higher cost per, per bird. Yeah. So your feed conversion rate wouldn't be quite as good. A chicken is something that is, again, a pretty sustainable um, animal protein, partly because if you raise it the right way and, and give it the right balanced diet, it can grow fairly quickly, even with organic raising standards. So um, again, that means that an organic chicken is going to be more expensive than a conventional chicken, but it's still going to be less than even, say, conventional beef, for example. Wow. That's a really interesting um, stat right there. And Jefferson, this is this is great. I, I really appreciate all this this info and kind of demystifying the the, the the process here and, and your company. And so I'd like you to, to think about this and give an answer to your listeners thinking of uh, applicable advice. What do you think the keys to SVO is, is doing really well? It's got good energy, I'd say, in, in the office, growing really well, a great board of advisors. But what would you say have, have been the keys to your success and rapid, sustainable growth? A good foundation. Um, when we ran, there was a, a viability study that before we opened the doors, we ran. And I think it's having a good focus to begin with. So if you're looking to create a business that has scalability potential and you do believe that you can grow based off of a, a solid business model to begin with and, and then see that as it, as it picks up momentum, which inevitably does take time, um, and though I am uh, either ADD or ADHD by nature, I'm sure, uh, when I look back over the last three years, it does feel like a whirlwind because a lot of stuff has happened. I think having that focus from the beginning, so believing that that the the core business model there was something that could stand the test of time and really sticking with it because we've had plenty of times where we had to look, take a good look at ourselves in the mirror breathe and and ask ourselves why we're here and why we're doing what we're doing. At the end of the day, we believe in it. And what we found is that good people gravitate to that in in, in the sense of key employees or or investors or people that are willing to serve on your board of directors, uh, you know, et cetera. You, You have the people that aren't going to be investing in this in, in time or money or any efforts in, unless they, they agree with you enough to, to be putting forth that effort themselves. And so, again, by nature, you're going to grow a strong base from within. And then I think what's, what's more satisfying than anything is watching through that development really over the last year as we started getting more marketing out and and producing more retail ready product and you know for example the uh the farmer focus launch that's just underway seeing how different people within 
either the organic sector or the food industry or the media or or just just a mom that e- every day we get we get um, emails just saying, hey, we just wanted to let you know that we appreciate you guys being out there so much. Thank you for offering a good product. Our family loves it. Keep doing what you're doing. So that, that certainly is always good to have that encouragement out there. Yeah, and, and, and Jefferson, I really, again, going back to your website the, on the About page, SVO's vision is to promote its business model, right? It, uh, a key to your success to the success obviously is the business model, right? As the ideal way to affordably provide the highest quality organic chicken to consumers while encouraging healthy eating and then cultural awareness, you know, where does the food come from? Uh, yeah, I mean, it seems like you guys are really dialed in to that. I, I want to mention one thing. So you're talking to a fellow uh, ADD, ADHD person, but I've changed the, I've changed the acronym. Uh, I, I prefer to call it ADA. Attention deficit advantage because maybe yes, we're sir. scatterbrained, but we also have some advantages because we can do a lot of things that we can multitask and have various interests and and do multiple projects at at once. I I, I will concur with that one, my friend. So I always said that that um, led me to be motivated. No matter what I was doing, I always wanted to do more. So even even in school, when I was studying to take one test and I was thinking about the next one, you know now. I've, still think that that's stuff that you and I probably take into our professional work careers where we're always, always looking to drive whatever we're doing and, and expand it into other fields. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, exactly. It's, it's just funny sometimes too, because acronyms can be very powerful because it's all of a sudden, if you change it from disorder to advantage, it can, you can really change the way you think about it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, listen, I'm not going to go into like a speech about, uh, prescription drugs for, for kids and everything, but but I, I do think it's it's worth uh, worth considering, and especially in today's era of mm-hmm. cell phones and social media and this connectedness, which is going to take any we'll say non ADD person to make them more likely to have ADD. Um, it, it's something to think about. How yeah. do you channel that? Uh, we'll say creativity and, and energy. No, I, I I agree with you there. And again, we don't need to do a deep dive into it, but uh, I got a, a three month old daughter and a nineteen month old son now, and things that uh, we certainly have to think about more than ever because you and I didn't have cell phones as a possible distraction when we were kids. And now if, if you're like me, you feel like you live on your cell phone. So how do we, how do we treat the next generation of kids coming up that uh, you've really got to limit any time that you're looking at a screen? So, you know, we try to shut off the TV and get down on the floor and play with a, a tractor or a teddy bear or whatever and, and, and be involved. And I think, you know, that and, uh, again, I, not only myself, but my wife being a proponent of a of a good diet, we certainly do see that impact in uh, the school systems. Or if you look at uh, different people, I mean, or Jamie Oliver, for example, they do a lot of work to get good quality food into the school systems as much as possible. I think the sustainability and the affordability of it are things that we really have to work hard to to ensure. But I do think that if you have children getting their proper nutrients in a balanced diet, you're going to see their performance at the scholastic level improve greatly. I mean, that's not something that I think. I mean, <laughs> we've seen it. There's there's plenty of studies that just show if you get a kid, you know, good exercise and a good diet, they're just going to perform better. So, you know, hopefully that's something that, again, we as a, as a, a culture, not only in America, but worldwide can continue to push toward. Yeah, I think adults as well. Good exercise and diet. And I'll just finish up the, this uh, this topic here with, so I have a, a lot of reason for optimism because this is a new age. We're in the internet age. There's no doubt about it. And 
the agricultural age, the industrial revolution and age. And it takes a while once we're, we enter a new era to figure out how to, to best operate. So we're just kind of figuring things out still, I think, and right. maybe what, 15, 15 years in. So, mm-hmm. so uh, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see how, what the future holds for us. Uh, Jefferson, thank you so much for coming onto the show. I learned a ton and uh, yeah, I um, can't wait to uh, next time in the DC area to pick up some SVO chicken. Well, an open invitation here. Anytime if you're uh, in in the area coming through the Shenandoah Valley, we'd love to have you here and take you on a tour if you'd like. And uh, certainly appreciate you inviting me onto the show. All right. Thank you so much. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening. And as always, if you have any questions or comments, find us online at foodstartupspodcast.com.